Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 2nd, 2010. Now, newcomers to the show, I always suggest you start at, you go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com. That's the website, it's the main website. And uh, you should also bookmark the other sites you'll see listed on the front page for future use in case the com goes down or if you experience sticky downloads. That's because so many folk go into the com site at the same time. So you have these other ones to choose from. And remember, all these sites, these are the official sites and, and the only official sites I have, uh, they all carry translations as well. I mean, uh, I should say transcripts in English. And if you want transcripts for prints up in other languages, go into Alan Watt Sentinel.eu. And they also carry, they also all carry, I should say, um, the audios, hundreds and hundreds of audios, where I try and give you uh, more information to, to patch up the big picture of reality, the reality in which we live and how we've got to where we are and where it's going from here. And I try to show you that it's not a soft happenstance thing we're going through. We just stumble down through time fixing problems as they arise, but rather, just like all business management, the world is managed in exactly the same manner, with 50-year plans in one area and 100-year plans in another, and, and even more than that in some other areas, the kind of society they want for the 22nd century, I'm sure, is already planned as well, just as this one was planned for this century. And what we're going through today are the massive changes on the road to this uh, utopia of theirs of depopulation and an obedience uh, uh, public and so on. That's what all this is about that we're going through right now. We're being trained, constantly trained and upgraded just like a computer program to go along with everything, even mass uh, dehumiliation, which is uh, happening at airports and so on. We're getting used to all of this to, so that we, we feel powerless. And a good citizen now is someone who uh, likes it groping anywhere in public and strip searches and all the rest of it. That's what it's coming down to, literally. It's a training exercise for you, really. Uh, of course, with that added addition of um, what happens to you if you don't go along with it, you see the big fat fellows jump on you and pound your head in. Now, remember, too, from the U.S. to Canada, that if you want to buy my books and discs and so on, you can order with a personal check to Canada. You can also use an international postal money order from your post office. PayPal is good as well. Just use the PayPal donation button and send a separate email with your name, address, and the order, and I'll get it out to you. Across the rest of the world, same idea. You can use PayPal, but you can also wire it if you wish with the expensive Western Union, or you can use MoneyGram, which is a bit cheaper, or you can go even cheaper and use a MoneyGram check, which they issue you, and you, just, you simply post it and make it sure it's in the Canadian dollars. But uh, PayPal is probably the, the thing of the future. I think everyone's going to go cashless altogether. Most folk already are. And I'll touch on that tonight, what's happened in some countries where they pretty well are cashless and the government's given them their ID card where they also have to use it for their banking. That's to, that's to go worldwide, of course. We live in a system, an incredible system, well-managed, of course, 
and not by the, the bumbling pol- politicians they give you to throw tomatoes at. That's what their job is, is to take the heat. Uh, you're run by bureaucracies and scientists and so on. Layers of scientists and specialists in behaviorism and uh, so on uh, that have been working for so long, using your tax money through universities and psychology departments and behaviorist uh, testing on selected groups of people, often without their consent, by the way, uh, to make sure they could use on the big society, the society we're in today. That's all of you out there. The government spends an awful lot of your tax money in television and in movies, putting in the right little cues that you'll get for your subliminals and for your indoctrination. Just astonishing what's going on and has been for a long time. Your thoughts are not yours. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back, and we're cutting through the matrix. We do live in a, a almost a fictional world now. Most folk really do. They, they live in the world of television and movies and, and incredible doctrination, uh, that, which they're unaware of. I've gone through some of the history of Bernays, who was one of the, the characters put forth on the world stage by masters behind him, of course, who taught him all the arts of manipulation and manipulation really on the masses. It was for mass manipulation, using your unconscious desires and all the rest of it. And it's quite astonishing to see how well it worked, which meant to me, as far as I'm concerned, these weren't trials he was doing. He already knew that these particular techniques worked. And I've often mentioned the word technique, and you'll find it in scientific circles. You have to look into the word to see what they're referring to. It's very, very important. I mean, whole books have been written on the word technique because it's all to do with what manipulates and motivates you and how to do it, basically. Uh, Yesterday I touched on one of the organizations which the British government uh, uses all the time to alter the behavior of the British people. The the U.S. does the same. uh, Canada's got the same too. And um, it it does work. It does, does work with all peoples. The same techniques work with all peoples. And I mentioned on Mindspace, that's one of the, the companies that they use in Britain. Uh, and the, the problem was that they had years ago, as you see, they used to think, and Bertrand Russell was through this in his own book, The Impact of Science and Society, uh, and the Scientific Outlook. He said, we used to think, and he was writing back in the 40s about this, he said, we used to think that people really worked on logic and reason. And so they used to give to the public what they claimed were facts. Of course, they lied always to the public, the governments always do. But they hoped that people would toss these facts about and come to the desired conclusion. And then they found out, no, people, being people, work on different uh, mechanisms, really. We work on unconscious influences, etc. And that's why Russell and others in the Macy Group and so on decided to get the big uh, psychologist organizations on board. And the behaviorists have got, got in the act as well. Uh, today they call it neuroscience, it covers a wide area, and, and neuroeconomics, which is also part of it too, using psychology to change your economic habits and the way that you live. Remember Skinner too talks about changing people's behavior. He said the easiest way to change it is to, to alter something in the environment or put something in the environment that wasn't there before. 
And in came television, of course, and he was also referring to it to that as a good medium for getting the messages across. Before that, there was radio. People started to listen to radio. And when you listen to something, you're not talking to each other. So immediately your behavior is altered. You don't converse as much when that radio is on. Same with television. Television's far better because it has the added visual aspect to it as well. It's hypnotic. And even if you've all experienced this visiting people's homes where the television is on all the time, and even if they have to turn down the volume to talk to you, and you can see they're annoyed, they keep the television screen going so they can watch it. And they're, they're watching it even while you're talking and they're answering you. They're watching the TV. The TV takes over the prime position in the household. And everyone knows that too. That's where they gave you high definition and plasma and all the rest of it too. Better techniques to draw you into that conditioning aspect of, of behavior, your behavior. Now, if you look into the very little they give you, of course, in mind space for the general public, because they don't want you to know everything that they're doing to you, they actually have some categories uh, listed on, on how they've worked out the sciences on the human mind. And it says, we've arranged the effects according to the acronym MindSpace for messenger, as M, and I for incentives, norms, defaults, salience, priming, effect, uh, commitments, and ego. And under messenger, it says we're heavily influenced by who communicates information. They further go on to describe that someone in authority, an authority figure, you see, uh, like an expert, a scientist, someone who they've made to be well-known. And I've gone before how, how the Macy group and, and other groups actually created scientists to be front men, really, for political change. They gave them star status. And so you, you tend to believe them more than you believe anyone else, or your next-door neighbor, or yourself, for that matter. Incentives, says our responses to incentives are shaped by predictable mental shortcuts, just like a computer, you see, such as strongly avoiding losses. So they, they can give you incentives to gain what you think is you're going to gain something, uh, or they'll give you penalties, such as, oh, if you don't comply with this, we'll have to fine you, or something like that, you see. And then norms, we're strongly influenced by what others do. Again, going back to Russell, who's a big mover and shaker in the system you're now living in, uh, with the world agenda, by the way, and with the world's biggest leading think tank at his time and still today. He said the same thing, that uh, people are influenced by peer pressure. And if you can get the majority to go along with it, all the rest must follow, or they'll be forced into going along with the rest of them or they'll be ostracized by society. Simple techniques that they watched happening in school. Because school children, you see, are very cruel. And if, if uh, some girl comes in with old-fashioned clothes, as they call them, and you're not in with the latest trend, they really are cruel as can be to that, that person. If you want to join the gang, you have to dress like the gang. And then going to defaults. Uh, we go with the flow of preset options. Go with the flow. In other words, we always take the easy way. What's presented is easy. So they nudge you to go with the easy decision. You see? That's where nudging comes in. And your computer does the same thing. There are people who nudge you to go along. Would you like to do this? Or you should do that? And blah, blah, blah. That's all called nudges. Do you really want to look at this website? Nudge, nudge. 
And as I say, um, the faults we go through the flow of preset options. And then salience, uh, our attention is drawn to what is novel and seems relevant to us. So novelty grabs our attention. Of course, they all use sex and everything else too. That grabs your attention. That's always been the way. And anything to grab your attention and then give a message attached to it, you see, that's relevant to you or seems, seems is the word, relevant to you. Because you're being conned. It must seem relevant to you. Priming. Our acts are often influenced by subconscious cues. Subconscious cues are given to you all the time, so they prime you without you knowing it. A lot of your cues have already come by watching dramas. Coronation Street in Britain is the longest-running drama or soap ever invented, run by the British government. I mean, it's run, too, by psychologists, psychiatrists, and all kinds of professional people. And what they did in Coronation Street, and still do, is to present conflicts that will happen in the multicultural society as time goes on, and all the arguments will come into family lives and so on, and disruptions, and how to cope with it, because you, you will actually copy the solution of the characters that you identify with on the actual show. I'm not kidding. It's no kidding. It's amazing, isn't it? And it's been awfully successful. Because obviously there's going to be a lot of conflict when different cultures clash with each other and are crammed into small spaces and cities, already overcrowded cities. Then the affect, the effect is your emotions, you see, in your moods. Our emotional associations can powerfully shape our actions, and so they give you tribal symbols, the flag, national anthems, guys winning, always winning against all odds and stuff. That gets you going. You feel part of the tribe. Many different ways to do it. And they can also give you uh, the wrong kind of imprint. They doesn't mention it here, but they can imprint your brain with an idea uh, by by reversing what's actually happening, as in what group is kicking in the head of, of whatever other group in a drama or a movie. It can make you feel bad, even though you're not there kicking someone's head in. Uh, that's, that's used off all the time, too, in movies and so on. It could be the other way around, which often is. Commitments, it says, we seek to be consistent with our public promises and reciprocate acts, you see. So getting you to actually comply and and mentally promise to go along with something is something that you feel guilty of backing out of. And then they play in your ego, too. We act in ways that make us feel better about ourselves. We're all in it together. Are you? You're doing your part, aren't you? You're doing your part. These techniques have always used in wartime as well, and they use it with all the, the new political correctnesses out there. All the different kinds of there's so many varieties now and areas of political correctness that you have to conform to as you're manipulated en masse along the same road. It's, it's quite uh, interesting to me because I, I always talk, talk about these topics, but I stand outside of them. I stand outside, outside of sides and everything. I just stand and watch. And that, that's how you can always see what's going on. Don't get drawn in. You know? And um, that's why you see experts are saying, getting back to the messenger at the beginning, it says we're heavily influenced by who communicates information. Our response to a message depends greatly upon the reactions we have to the source of that information. We're affected by the perceived authority of the messenger, whether formal or informal, we are more likely to act on information if experts deliver it, but also if the messenger has demographic and behavioral similarities to ourselves. You never wondered about these characters they put on television and you grew up with them, the same guys reading the news till they're almost falling off the chair as they disintegrate in front of you with age 
and paid big bucks is because you have grown up with them as a daddy figure, you see. And he stares at that what appears to be you every night at six o'clock. And would he tell you the uh, an untruth, as they say? Would he ever tell you an untruth? And all the time, you don't realize he's reading a dummy board. He's not looking at you at all. The perception is very important, isn't it? It says we're also affected by the feelings we have towards the messenger, so that someone who has developed a dislike of government interventions may be less likely to listen to messages they perceive come from the government. So they get other departments to give you the messages. As I say, your dramas have more messages in them than the government's going to give you. They really do. They even have them in cartoons for the children to get. Everyone's been managed. Every age group's been managed too. Every gender has been managed. Every gender age group has been managed. Quite interesting, isn't it? Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. Russell, Bertrand Russell wrote this book, The Impact of Science on Society. At least he gave the lectures that, that the book was based on in 1949 at the Ruskin College in London. Ruskin's an interesting character himself because he was the first guy to be put uh, at a university under a particular bachelor's degree. And he was put out there to push what was called the British Empire and he also was the mentor of Cecil Rhodes for the world government idea. And Ruskin himself, uh, interestingly enough, uh, ended up in an asylum for the insane later on. And I'm not surprised at the amazing ideas he was all into. But anyway, in The Impact of Science and Society, as in 1949, uh, this, uh, these lectures were given. Russell says this, he says, The good of a multitude is a sum of the goods of the individuals composing it not a new and separate good. In concrete fact, when it is pretended that the state has a good different from that of the citizens, what is really meant is that the good of the government or of the ruling class is more important than that of, of other power or other people. In other words, it's a government that comes first and foremost in all times and all ages. Such a view can have no basis except an arbitrary power. It's all about power. More important than these metaphysical speculations is the question of whether a scientific dictatorship, this is what we're in now, folks, if you don't know it, most folk don't, such as we have been considering, can be stable or is more likely to be stable than a, more likely to be stable than a democracy. Apart from the danger of war, I see no reason why such a regime should be unstable. After all, most civilized and semi-civilized countries known to history have had a large class of slaves or serfs completely subordinate to their owners. There is nothing in human nature that makes the persistence of such a system impossible. And the whole development of scientific technique has made it easier than it used to be to maintain a despotic rule of a a minority that's over the public. When the government controls the distribution of food, very important, its power is absolute. So long as it can count on the police and the armed forces. And their loyalty can be secured by giving them some of the privileges of the governing class. I do not see how any internal movement or revolt can ever bring freedom to the oppressed in a modern scientific dictatorship. Uh, Well, that's what you're under today for those who really don't get it yet. 
uh, and it was decided a long time ago. It was decided before you were born and implemented, and the techniques were on board. And that's why they allowed really real odd creeps that we know of, uh, like uh, uh, the, the, the various behaviorists who were dropping children onto tables to see if they cried and stuff like that. And, of course, all of the perverts, they got in on sexual experimentation as well to bring out a new revolution in sexuality. It was all fake, of course, but they'd make movies about these characters and glorify them, but then Hollywood always would do that, wouldn't it? It's a big part of it and part of conditioning you. So, as I say, neurolinguistics is involved, uh, psycholinguistics is involved, uh, neuroeconomics using psychology is involved to get you to cut back and be austere and not feel so bad about your money being taken off you, more and more of it, by the way, to give out to the big corporations abroad as they bring up third world countries, supposedly to a better status, a higher status. But in reality, the world is under a new feudal system, exactly as Professor Carl Quigley said it would be, where the new feudal overlords are the CEOs of giant corporations. And that's pretty well where we are today with this kind of stuff. As I say, for those who haven't quite got it yet. And yesterday I talked about the Club of Rome and how they're a big think tank and a big player who get global agreements made. They ram them through. They get accords, which really get signed eventually into treaties and, and laws. And, uh, and they came up with the whole di- idea of using global warming as a scam to get the world to redistribute the, the wealth and to give the individual power of the individual citizenry over to the government and for a total, a totalitarian kind of system, which are in again. They said that democracy wouldn't work, and it didn't work, and they were determined to bring in an authoritarian system. Well, that's what you have had since 2001. Haven't you figured that out? It's nothing to do with the Middle East or Afghanistan or Asia, nothing at all. It's to do with bringing on in the, the Agenda 21, the project for a new, the new century. It's, it's um, sustainable living, sustainable development. It's eugenics, depopulation, sterilization, and eventually food rationing. And I, I said that the night that the towers went down on the radio, that you would see food rationing and you would see eventually mass movements of people across the countries just like you do in any other wartime scenario. They've got to use all the same techniques that have worked before. And remember, too, what Carl Quigley said. He said you get more done in five years of war in a social setting, on the social agenda, than 50 years of peace and propaganda. That's why you're going through all this today. Now, it's so amusing to me, but the things really are amusing. Uh, when you see them off, to, to carry on with their carbon uh, scams, the, the taxes that you're going to be taxed with very shortly, individually, as well as locally and state and nationally and all the rest of it, that's uh, being held in Cancun while Britain is under the worst blizzard it's had for years and snow. But that doesn't matter because facts don't matter in this kind of society where we're all under the hypnosis, basically, and delusion. Remember, perception is more important than reality in managing vast amounts of people. Back with more after these messages.
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back, and we're cutting through the matrix. You know, years ago, some of the top honchos in this big global system were really forced into uh, talks about the age of world managers. And what they meant then uh, was really the NGOs and the big foundations that would be parts of the governing structure, this public-private deal, of course. And it's already accomplished, and it really was a long time ago before they told you because governments have always been taking these these private uh, think tanks on board uh, because they've always run the real world through these think tanks and foundations. Uh, the, the governments that you see are more mainly to, to give a, a kind of show, a punch and judy show or a wrestling match for the public where they can slang each other and get you split between parties and all that kind of stuff to keep you in confusion. Uh, that's what they're for. And also to sign agreements uh, to do the legal part of putting their, their, their paw mark on something. That's what they really do. But we don't have democracy, and we never have had it. So we've had great management of our minds, though. And you can't compete in propaganda with these propagandists because they're backed with billions and billions of dollars and access to all of the media, the big media, that you're trained against, more authoritarian, you see, more more official than, than all the little bloggers. So you listen to the, the official types and the experts, exactly what Bertrand Russell said. And here's one of them here on your future. And this is Forum for the Future, a big one, of course, big think tank. And they're, they're also in there with the United Nations and, the, and with the whole agenda. A thousand points of light. There's about a thousand main ones out there that guide the whole world uh, through propaganda and through the incredible money that they have. And they have direct access to all governments and so on. But they say, moving away from car ownership, using real-time traffic information to help plan journeys, and having more virtual meetings will be vital to prevent megacities of the future from becoming dysfunctional and unpleasant places to live in, according to a study by the environmental think tank forum for the future. The report argues that authorities must begin to plan now in order to create easier and more sustainable ways of accessing goods and services in the world's ever-growing cities. Because that's the plan, you see, everybody's to get off the, the, the country that shouldn't belong there. Uh, they only, only authorize mega farms only by the corporation, the corporate farms only. And everyone else is to be stuck in the cities because, you see, they can't allow. All totalitarian systems always restrict your right to travel. They want you all crammed together so they can get you easy if they want to pick you up. So this is all part of it, too. So these characters here in the Forum for the Future are having their, their PR blurb there. And it's from The Guardian, which is probably more left than Karl Marx. They even have their own particular environmental guys. These environmental journalists, by the way, are astonishing characters. They wouldn't get a job scratching for a living in some any, any real investigative journalism. But they, they, they scratch out this rubbish and all part the same stuff from the same think tanks to make us believe the world's in an awful, awful environmental crisis and global warming and all the rest of it. Meanwhile, they all jet off to Cancun and across the world wherever they're having these meetings, leaving massive trails of exhaust behind them and parting it up with incredible meals, etc. But of course, again, that goes back to, as I say, that this is the age of world managers, if you wonder what they are. 
This is all part of world management. And these are the world managers. So it says, by, and now let's give you these future scenarios. By 2040, the world's urban population is expected to have grown from 3.5 billion to 5.6 billion. The new report calls for a radical re-engineering of cities' infrastructure to cope. as it cramming like sardines? The future is going to look pretty urban, with more and more people shifting to cities to the point that by 2040, we're going to have two-thirds of all the people in the world living in cities, said Ivana Gazabara, Senior strategist advisor, well, they've got a strategy advisory at Forum for the Future, so they have to have strategies to propagandize you. And an author of the report, Mega Cities on the Move. So I have no time for these, these, uh, I call them prostitutes, you know, they're moral prostitutes and, and, and truth prostitutes because they wouldn't go for truth if they fell over it, and they certainly wouldn't pick it up because there's no money in it for them, but they certainly leave a trail of exhaust and, and, and rubbish across the planet. But that's what you're, that is the future, to be crammed into these megacities. And the megacity idea first came out of the United Nations, which is always the hub of all of this stuff. That's what it was set up to do. And that's why, too, by the way, they give you masses of entertainment. Masses of it. Because they, they know quite well, like all animals, if you're, if you're crammed into a cage, you're fine at a certain point, of space and room and so on. And then afterwards, deviant behavior of all kinds breaks out, and right down to eating each other if need be. That's natural, because what you're living in is unnatural. You're not meant to be crammed together like that. You're supposed to spread all over the earth, where you're on a little plot of land, and privacy and all the rest of it. But totalitarians hate that, you see. It makes it awful hard for them to manage you and, and control you. So they give you masses of entertainment. And every, again, expert, you see, as, as Bertrand Russell said, from his days even before uh, the 40s, uh, he, he talks about this. They need to get a massive entertainment industry on the go to make sure that you're always kept in a mystical fantasy world to help you cope with the incredible stress of being crowded in to people who are having all-night parties and you're up at 7 in the morning, you go to work, stuff like that, you see. That's the reality of life. So, here we are, we're getting dehumiliated all the time, or dehumanized, I should say, and humiliated all the time. And uh, we've been taught to, you know, you go into the airport there, and at the start it was, oh, take your belts off. So there's, there's guys holding their pants up, like, like prisoners do. You're taught to be humiliated. You're nothing. You're unworthy, you see. You feel less powerful when you're holding your pants up. Very simple techniques to do it to all prisoners. And then, then off came your shoes. So you look rather stupid, you're, like you're getting ready for bed or something. And then it goes on to scanning you and groping you and, and so on. This is all part of the psychological technique to dehumanize you and to get you to accept your dehumanization. And there's big business in it too. Not only big business, but also it will bring down the population through cancers and so on, such as the body scanners. And here's an article here from the Rutherford Institute. It says, are body scanners dangerous to your health? As the Transportation Security Administration pushes forward its plan to place full body scanners in all American airports, experts, again experts, as you see, the experts in the scientific community are raising serious concerns that the full body scanners are not medically safe for the millions of people that will be exposed to them each year. Even the Allied Pilots Association 
has urged its members to opt out of the body scanning measures because of the ionizing radiation, which could be harmful to their health. It's amazing since the days of Marie Curie and even before anybody who handled the, the radioactive isotopes, eventually X-radio, uh, all died of cancers, all of them. Well, why do you think the guys who work in the clinics uh, when you go to a hospital for, for an X-ray uh, have the, the lead aprons on and all the rest of it and stand behind lead-proof uh, glass windows? They're not going to get dosed with the stuff they're dosing you with. And there are little badges there to pick up on the radiation that accumulates because they're not allowed to get so much before they have to go off duty and try and get rid of some of it. Do they give you that option when you're going back and forth through the airports or on the buses and so on? Or scanning in the streets with their mobile vans? Well, no. Because you're cattle, you see. That's all you are. In April 2010, four members of the University of California faculty relayed to Dr. John P. Holdren, the guy who wants depopulation, as I've gone through his history before, President Obama's science and technology czar. I love the terminology. They'll call him the czar because we are the new Soviet, you see. Their concerns about the serious health risks posed to travelers by the whole body back scatter X-ray scanners. Dr. Sadat is a professor of emeritus at biochemistry and biophysics with expertise in imaging. And then there's Dr. Mark Sherman, is internationally well-known and respected cancer expert. And Drs. David Agard and Robert Stroud are X-ray crystallographers and imaging experts. Suffice it to say, these men know what they're talking about. So when they suggest that an immediate moratorium is needed on the use of the scanners in order to carry out a second independent evaluation to determine that the scanners really are safe, our government, which is supposed to protect us from these kinds of dangers, should listen. I don't know where they think the government is supposed to protect you from these kind of dangers. There's propaganda for you, right? Specifically, these scientists argue that the concentration of radiation on the skin of individuals being scanned poses a serious cancer risk that has been largely dismissed. The TSA has compared the radiation received from the body scanner to the radiation that is absorbed in regular airplane travel or the the radiation from a chest X-ray. However, in their memo to Dr. Holdren, Dr. Sadat, Agard Stroud and Schumann note that this comparison is very misleading. The TSA estimates only consider the, the, the radiation as it would be if absorbed by the whole body, as opposed to how the scanner really operates, which is to concentrate the radiation on the skin. The scientists claim that the body scanners have not received the proper medical review using key data which would allow for a proper understanding of the medical impacts of the technology which they believe could cause mutations and skin cancer. This is they suggest setting up an independent panel to review the safety concerns posed by the scanners, a highly reasonable suggestion for a piece of technology that will be scanning millions of people a year. And then they also go through the other universities too that have tested it and so on. And Dr. David Brenner, for instance, is who heads Columbia University Center for Radiological Research, states that radiation produced by the scanners is 20 times higher than the official estimate that they give the public. It's 20 times higher in reality. Physics professor Peter Rez at Arizona State University echoes Dr. Brenner's claims. He points out that there's a real possibility that a body scanner could malfunction concentrating unsafe amounts of radiation on one area of the body. The scary thing to me is not what happens in normal operations, but what happens if the machine fails and mechanical things break down frequently. And who's checking them? Who's going to maintain them, eh? So, so on a side note, while it's bad enough that the scanners can see through your clothing to an alarming degree, they can also reveal quite a bit about your health history. 
as Dr. Kristen Byrne, uh, a radiologist at Lenox Hill Hospital in New York City, points out. The report scanners show anything on the surface of the skin and very closely under the skin. This includes foreign objects close to the skin, including piercings, catheters. It's amazing, too, there's a guy got on a plane recently after getting really hassled at the airport, and they ripped his catheter and, and the bag from him, covering him in urine, and then put him on the plane, covered in urine. That's, there's, there's humiliation for you and dehumanization by these steroid fat creeps that they put out there dressed in black at the airports. That's what they're training you for, to get bossed around by these pinheads. It says these are items that most people want to keep private and away from the prying eyes of the public and government officials. Well, it's dehumanization. That's the purpose of it all. Despite all of this, Janet Napoleon, sorry, it's Napolitano. I keep, uh, that's the word association for you. I guess they must have chosen that one carefully. Secretary of the Department of Homeland Defense insists that the full body scanners are safe. Of course, she doesn't have to go through them, having special privileges. And on and on it goes. So anyway, of course they're not safe. And uh, really, what can you say? You've got all these people who, I don't think you can humiliate them enough, an awful lot of them. Maybe tell me strip naked and crawl on all fours and bark like dogs. I mean, personally, I, I have no respect for them. Why should they respect you when you comply? Because it, causes, it really brings out the sadomasochistic tendencies of the worst kinds of human behavior, especially in the worst kinds of people, and that's exactly what they hire. It always leads to the same thing. Always, always, always. Now, in Denmark, they brought out the national ID card, and it's the NEMID, they call it, and I believe it's a Korean company that runs it. And uh, it also does their bank and everything else on it. If you want to go to pay for your child care, you have to show this ID thing, and you also have to take one of the codes that they give you. They give you hundreds of codes to pick from, and eventually you use up all these codes and you apply for a new card. So I'll put the link up for that tonight as well, and you can peruse that to see what's coming your way. Now, under this world system, all food has to be in the hands of really one group. And although there's five main agribusinesses, as they call them, they're really one group with the same shareholders, with the big banking fraternities up there at the top. Because if you want to rule the world, you've got to rule the basic things, things which are necessities, food and water. Next to that comes clothing for, well, they won't need clothing, but they get humiliated, I suppose. So many need heat and shelter. All these things are, are they're going for your, your homes, everything. It's warfare, folks. Anyway, this article here is from Alternate. It says, watch out, the World Bank is quietly funding a massive corporate water grab. Billions have been spent allowing corporations to profit from public water resources, even though water privatization has been an epic failure in Latin America, Southeast Asia, North America, Africa, and everywhere else has been tried. But don't tell that to controversial loan sharks at the World Bank. And the World Bank, by the way, under the United Nations, is a private group of bankers. The same bankers that lend the checks to your countries to print the money up and demand real goods in return. Last month, its private sector funding arm International Finance Corporation quietly dropped a cool 100 million euros on Viola, Veolia Voda, the Eastern European subsidiary of Viola, the world's largest private water corporation. 
Its latest target is privatization of Eastern Europe's water resources. Uh, Veolia has made it clear that the business model is based on maximizing profits. Well, all privatization does that, if you haven't figured that out. Not long-term investment, says Joey Gelsbran, Senior Program Coordinator for Private Senior Watchdog Corporate Accountability International. Now, I want to put that up tonight, too, for you to have a look at as well. You see, you understand slavery is one thing, and okay, we've always been slaves in one form or another, as, as Charles Galton Darwin says. And he says they're bringing in a more sophisticated form of slavery. And sure, we have massive psychology and neurosciences working on our brains all the time as we flick through all the drama and fictions to get downloaded with new normals. But at the same time, I would always hope that somewhere deep down in in, in a few individuals would be a bit, a little bit of distrust of it all, and an objection to it, perhaps. Is that asking too much? Is it really asking too much? You know? When you go up to your, your new masters and you're saying, uh, more gruel, sir, more gruel. Because hmm? that's coming, folks. But with your communitarian aspect of it, as they're implementing in Britain, down at the local level, the new Soviet, the way the Soviet was supposed to be, is being introduced in Britain right now. Under the pretense of of decentralizing government and putting it right down to the local level, where the citizens are involved, they're all part of your community, and you better turn up at the meetings, or they wonder why are you antisocial, just like China. The model state for the world, of course, is China. Hmm. That's quite something, I'll tell you. Anyway, here's the music coming up, and I'll be back with more after. These messages, indignation, indignation, indignation. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix and... Just one more article. Remember all these articles, I put links up at cuttingthroughmatrix.com at the end of the show. It takes about an hour or so to get them started up, upload and, and be visible on your sites when you when you go into it. So I give it a, a little bit of time. And um, it takes about four hours altogether to get all of these sites up, or more sometimes. But here's an article, too, from Bloomberg. And it's, uh, it says, um, and I mentioned this already last week, I think it was the week before, about how they're bypassing uh, national laws and getting the states and provinces in Canada to merge with their carbon creation deals by using mayors and politicians and so on. It's, it's so clever, these guys, but there's big money in it for these guys too, so they, their pockets get nice and fat. But anyway, and that's how the world really works. But it says uh, California, New Mexico, and, uh, and 10 U.S. northeastern states may try to create a North American carbon market in their own, on their own now that President Barack Obama has given up on cap-and-trade legislation that stalled in Congress. Well, they were actually already working on this stuff for the last few years, about five years they've been working and bypassing Congress altogether. The mission's trading system will be based on a planned carbon market in California, the most popular state, an existing regional cap-and-trade program for power plants in the northeast, According to state environmental officials, three Canadian provinces have also shown interest in a cross-border carbon trading system, the officials said. Well, they actually have done more than that. They've actually signed what they call the cords over the last few years. 
all these mayors and politicians on both sides of the border. So they go on about that, and I'll put this link up as well. And, and there's a, a caller there, I might just get a minute in. Is Nate in Maryland there? Or Nat? Hello? Hello? Hello, yes. Hey, Alan. Um, first of all, I want to uh, thank you for the service that you're doing. And um, I had a quick comment and then a question. Comment on you talk about people questioning things. And I'm a young guy, um, just graduated. And um, there, there are people who see the media, and it's just really a farce on some of these on these ca- cable channels. Yeah. And people are beginning to question the motives. Um, but my question is, I wanted to hear your comments on um, feminism as it's coming into universities and the mainstream and how it's sort of a changing of the guards in terms of values that that is taught to folks, and especially in regards to men. Um, no, there's no value in competitiveness or sort of some of the male strengths, I would say. I'll, I'll touch on that tomorrow as well because it's a big, and it's, it's such a history to it, but it's a big um, field altogether. Um, the destruction of the family unit has been a priority when they set up the League of Nations before even the United Nations. And then, of course, it transformed into the United Nations. And also the destruction of um, what they call the paternal society, where males were generally in charge of things, because they'd always found that to get their goal of what they, uh, what they called a peaceful world, which they meant really a scientifically organized and dominated world, they'd have to eliminate the man's role in all of the structure of society. And they've had a full-scale war to devalue the male. And, uh, of course, we've, we've got thousands of examples of how it's been done. But it's such a huge uh, area, as I say. I'd have to go through a bit of the history of this to show you why they did it, how they did it, and where they're going with it. But you're absolutely right. Um, the one enemy they've had all down through the ages who fought against their, their planned takeovers and changes and rule was always the male who got up and got the the guys together and they fought and rebelled. They're trying to eliminate that ability altogether and men feel basically powerless now. That's that's the whole intent of it. Uh, That's the music in for the night. So from Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's school with you.